As I've mentioned, mentioned before, I always want to acknowledge the Lord's presence before we, before we open His Word. It is He that enlightens us, uh, opens our understanding, just as He did with the disciples after His resurrection. Uh, he had to, he yet still had to open their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. The book of the Revelation, as we continue our study through, through, this, uh, through this book, we left off at chapter 3 and verse 11, if I have that correct in my notes. We've come towards the end of the Lord's message, message to the church in Philadelphia. Now, as, uh, as we've noted before, that's not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's not the, not the Philadelphia uh, here in America, but it is uh, the city in which that, from, from which that city received its name. Uh, this was in Asia Minor, in Turkey, uh, and, and no doubt after, after a message like this, no wonder they would want to name, uh, name a city after it. Uh, they received no, uh, nothing but good things from the Lord. Uh, they, had, they had held fast to his name. They had uh, done everything that he would have them to do. And because of that, he would keep all of them, as we see in, in verse 10. Uh, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try, uh, to try them that dwell upon the earth. So all uh, all of these uh, church members, uh, keep in mind this is a local New Testament church. This is this isn't uh, um, this isn't just Christians located within Philadelphia. It is that, but it is more than that. It is a church very similar to this one, uh, in that, uh, but there, but there would have only been one in that city, um, uh, because there wasn't. Uh, it's not like it is in the South in America today, where my my parents, the first time they came here, were kind of astonished at how many churches you pass on the way on the way to here. Um, they did not have that in those days. Uh, they were under a great deal of persecution. Um, uh, so it was not something that was done, uh, able to be done out in the open. Um, that is uh, why we never see, uh, that is one, my opinion, why we never see uh, instruments utilized in, in worship in the New Testament. Uh, they sing, but they sing hymns. They sing, uh, they sing without the use of instruments. I believe that that is due to the persecution that was, going, that was upon them. Because if they had sung with instruments, it would have been much louder. They would have been uh, they would have been discovered. So that is uh, because you don't see instruments in the New Testament. We have some some brethren and and some Christian denominations that do not utilize uh, do not utilize instruments because they don't find it in the New Testament. God doesn't have anything against the use of instruments. He instituted it in in the temple worship. Um, so. You know, we, that's, that's uh, I imagine, much the reason why, why uh, you guys use instruments and why uh, even in my home church we use instruments. Just, just using that as a, um, uh, an illustration of the persecution that they were undergoing. This is a small church. Um, due to that, it was much easier for the entire congregation to follow the Word of God. They had not, they had not strayed uh, from what they had been taught. They were, all, they were all Christians, they were all born again, which is why he tells the whole church that he will keep them from the hour of temptation, the hour, the specific time period of, of trying, of, 
uh, of testing. Um, the specific time of uh, judgment that comes upon um, those that dwell upon the earth. Sorry, I wasn't sure if she was coming to talk to my wife about something that my boys needed. Um, but uh, uh, so this is what's, so that's why he tells the whole church that he will keep them out of that. That same promise is for each child of God, is for each one of us. And not, it isn't specifically to the local church. It is to all of God's people. All of God's people will be kept out of this hour of temptation, this hour of trying, this hour of judgment, because it comes upon all the world. What is its purpose? To try, to prove, to test those that dwell upon the earth. The earth dwellers are, it is a specific Greek phrase, and you'll see elsewhere in the book of the Revelation, those that dwell in heaven. That is, the, that is a very similar Greek phrase, Heaven dwellers. You and I, we do not dwell upon the earth. We may live here. We may, we may love the life that the Lord has given us here, but this earth is not our home. We're not earth dwellers. This is not the closest that we will ever get to the Lord God. Just passing through. We sing a hymn that says that very thing. This, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Uh, I'm, uh, regardless... This, we are not earth dwellers. This time of tempting is not for us. Uh, it isn't for God's people. There will be God's people in, in that time, but they will come to know him during that time. As you see throughout the book of the Revelation, those that came out of uh, a great tribulation. Um, it's talking about the great tribulation that the Lord Jesus spoke of. Uh, we may get to a, uh, a text that... that describes his coming and, and describes what some of that time will be like. But that's the time in which we will be kept out of. He tells, the, he tells the church at Philadelphia that they will be kept out of it because all of them were born again. All of them were Christians. These other churches, they had goats, they had unbelievers in their midst who, did not, who would not be given this promise. Uh, so the Lord did not provide it. But Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia did not have goats in their midst, which is why he gives them, all of them, that promise. He says in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now we, you see throughout the book of the Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. Men, men have understood that, that that means he comes in a short time, but he, means that, he more means that he comes suddenly. He comes, his, his coming is quick, not in a short period of time uh, from now, but when his, when his coming happens, it is all of a sudden. You remember how, how Peter describes his coming? As a thief in the night. Men don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when the, Lord, when the Lord's coming is going to happen, but it will be sudden. It will be all of a sudden. In fact, the Lord even gives a parable in his earthly ministry of uh, uh, the... Um, what was it, the, the ten virgins, the twelve virgins? Um, some, some kept their lamps burning while the others let them, let them burn out. Um, and he, he's talking, and, and another one that even talks about um, uh, servants waiting on their Lord, to re- waiting on the master to return. Um, but some of them grow anxious. Some of them um, 
uh, begin to say he's never coming back. And so they, they drink and they get drunk and they, they stray from their duties. And he comes back at a time that they're not aware. But there are other servants that are always ready at his coming. It's an exhortation for his people to always be ready, always be looking, always to be waiting patiently. In fact, we even, we, we've even seen in a previous message three times in the New Testament two things that were saved from and unto uh, is to not serve idols any longer, to serve the living and the true God, and to wait patiently for his Son from heaven. So those to serve him and to wait for his Son are the two things that we are saved unto. If you will, the strings attached to our salvation, those are the things that we do now that we have come to understand the truth. They're not strings attached to become saved. But when you are, the, you're, you're enlightened to those two truths that we serve God. That's what we desire to do. That's what we seek to do. And we wait for his son from heaven. That's what uh, we can't help but wait. We can't do anything but wait. But we wait Patiently, we wait earnestly, we seek for him to come, which is why John will end the book of the Revelation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. He seeks for that day. He looks for that day. Uh, so he comes suddenly. And because he, because, because he comes suddenly, hold fast which thou hast, what they, what they have learned, what they, are, what they have been taught to do, that no man take thy crown. He's not talking about a crown of life. That's impossible to be removed. And if, he's, if he is talking about that, then he's giving them an empty threat. What he is, and which is why I don't think he's talking about the crown of life, because he purchased that. It, it's as good as done. Uh, Ephesians talks about uh, having blessed us with all spiritual, spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's already blessed us with all, with all spiritual blessings in Christ. That's already given. Christ purchased it. There is no, there is no taking that back. He can't, you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose eternal life because it was purchased by the blood of Christ. Christ did not die in vain. He accomplished the mission that his father gave him. In fact, he even said so. John 19.30. It is finished. It is accomplished. He did everything his father gave for him to do. So what is he talking about? Come to 2 John. <clears throat> Second John and verse verse five will begin. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Why? For or because many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. The ones who say, oh, uh, this is this. Uh, if, you ever heard of, if you've ever heard of Gnosticism, it starts with a G. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. Uh, Gnostic, uh, or, or it comes from... I believe it's a Greek phrase that means special knowledge. Uh, they, they had a special group that uh, received revelation because of how holy they were. And they could give commandments, this is what we're supposed to do. Uh, sounds somewhat similar uh, to any denomination that has you know, prophets that can speak for God, you know, so on and so forth. 
they had people that had special knowledge because of how holy they were. They were completely off on so many different things. But this, this is from the Docetics, the early Gnostics, the founders of, of what we call Gnosticism. The Docetics believed that, that uh, flesh, that matter in general, was bad. So they said Jesus Christ, being the perfect person, could not have come in the flesh. Could not. Uh, in fact, they tell one of the stories that uh, one of the disciples and Jesus were walking on the beach and talking, and then the disciple turned around and there's only one, one set of footsteps because they, did, they believed that Jesus must have only been a spirit, could not have been a man uh, because they believed flesh, matter in general, was evil and spirit was good. That's not true. Uh, f- there's nothing wrong with matter. There's nothing wrong with, with uh, physical substance. You know, the, this, this flesh, this skin that we have isn't the issue. It's the fleshly nature that we have. It is, it's what's on, it's the heart. It's man's mindset. Not that man can change that mindset in and of his own. The Lord must, must work for that, for, the, for that mindset to be changed. But they said that Christ did not come in the flesh. Christ absolutely came in the flesh. He did not have a fleshly nature like you and I. You and I, even if we could live a perfect life, even if we could live a perfect life from the time we were born all the way to the time of our death, do you know that we would still be damned? Romans 5.12 says, For for death passed upon all men because because all had sinned. I'm, I'm not drawing that that verse like I want it. Um, that's, the last, that's the last part of it. Give me just a second. Here we go. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. It's not talking about the sin that you and I commit on a daily basis. It's talking about by one man, one anthropos, one mankind. Adam and Eve both sinned on that day. When, when they ate of that tree, they both sinned. You and I sinned in them, for we were in, we were in them when they sinned. They were our head, if you will. You read Romans chapter 5, and that's the point that Paul's making, that that sin damned us, that that sin passed on to all of their generation, not, not their generation that lived at the same time, their progeny, those that were generated from them. We were lost then. We continue to, uh, if... if if I can describe it this way, we continue to stray as we sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Roman, or, uh, Isaiah 53. We, when we stray, that's, that's sin. We're guilty of our, uh, in, and of our own, uh, in and of our own selves. But we were lost then. When we, when we sinned in Adam... Is when, is when death passed upon all men, which is why infants in the womb die. They themselves haven't committed any sin, but they're still guilty. That's why, that's why they die. That's why there are children that perish in the womb. These who, who believe that, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Sorry, I chased a, chased a rabbit there. Let's, let's come back to the top of the rabbit hole. These who believe that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they're a deceiver. And they are an antichrist. They are a, a, against. Anti has two, 
two meanings, against and in the stead of. The final Antichrist, the beast, as is described in the Revelation, that is an instead of Christ. He, th- he sits in the temple and proclaims himself as God. He is in the, he's claiming to be in the stead of Christ. He is an Antichrist. He's against Christ. He's against the true Christ, but he's also claiming to be in the stead of Christ. This person who claims that Christ didn't come in the flesh, he's a deceiver and against the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not claiming to come in the stead of. So don't believe anybody that says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He absolutely did. Verse 8 is where I wanted us to get to. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought or worked, but that we receive a full reward. Our crown of life will never be taken away. It can't be. Our, our eternal salvation purchased by the blood of Christ can't be lost. What he's talking about are rewards that were given for works in this life. Do you know that we're, we're not only blessed by obedience in this life with, with material, spiritual blessings, things, temporal blessings, earthly blessings. The Lord does bless obedience now. But do you know that he blesses obedience now with, with rewards later? Do you remember the elders, the 24 elders in the book of the Revelation? They cast their crowns at the feet of the Lamb. Those crowns are rewards. They cast their crowns at the foot of the Lamb because it is he who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The works that he does in us, he also then blesses us for it both now and later. It is something. What a, what a merciful God we have. He, he doesn't have to, but he has promised to. He has promised to. He doesn't have to reward us for anything because it's him that does it. But that's how merciful our God is. Even though it's him doing the work in us, it is he that, that still blesses us for that obedience. So, this that we receive a full reward. We, if you can think of it this way, we may have had a reward up to here, but did Ananias, can you think about Ananias and Sapphira that were killed in Acts chapter 5? Did they receive a full reward? No. They were saved, absolutely. They, it says multiple times that they lied to the Holy Ghost. Unbelievers can't lie to the Holy Ghost. They don't have the Holy Ghost living within them. They lied to the Holy Ghost. They were, they were Christians, saved people that lied to God. We ought to not do that. Uh, and, and fear came upon all the churches that heard about what had happened to them. But that, that full reward, continuing on in a, in a life that's well-pleasing to God, is, is how we receive a, the full reward that we're, that we're due. If you could think of it this way, the, uh, the apostles versus the thief on the cross. The apostles did everything that the Lord would have them to do. The thief on the cross, there was no time for him to perform works to receive uh, the same equivalent reward. He's still saved. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about, uh, talking about rewards, specifically in the millennium. You remember the, the, the parable of the talents that the Lord gave? Uh, the, the, the talents that, that he gave, and some, one made ten, one made five, and one just buried it. Did nothing with it. And the one that made ten, he said, I'll set you over many cities. And the one that made five, I'll set you over a few cities. And the one that did nothing with it, he said, you are a bad servant. Right. Uh, The reward. The reward. Not receiving a full reward for the works that that he had done, which, which which were nil. 
but the other men, they received that full reward. So that's what, that's what he's talking about here, the crown. That, back to our text in Revelation chapter 3. The crown that he's talking about is the, reward, uh, is the rewards that were given for having performed these works for him. Uh, and that's why he says, hold fast. Because if we stray, if we decide to go our own way, uh, and, and even do acts like what David did, King David, uh, say again, a saved man performing the acts that he did would, would not go well. And because the Lord wasn't finished with him, that was the only reason the Lord didn't put him to death. Because what he did, the two things that he did were worthy of death, individually, let alone together. But the Lord said, through Nathan, I, you, I, I have put away your sin, you shall not die. Because the Lord wasn't finished with him yet. So we come on, but we move on to verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. So to him that overcometh. We've, we've examined that before. Jesus said, fear not, I have overcome the world. We are, over, we are more than overcomers through him. Because of what he has done. Because of him, we are overcomers. Christ's people will overcome, uh, will overcome the world because he has overcome the world. He, has, he is the one who works in us. He is the one who gives us that ability. And it is upon him uh, that we should rely for that very thing. To the one that does overcome, he gives a promise. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. What do pillars do? They're structural. They hold up something. In the pillar, a pillar in the temple of my God, a pillar is also secure in the temple in the temple of the true temple of God, not, not the temple that, that had already been destroyed in A.D. 70 because Revelation was written in 90, 95 A.D. When, when John was on the Isle of Patmos, as we've already seen. So it was written some years after the earthly temple was destroyed. The heavenly temple that the earthly temple was to be a picture of. The heavenly temple, the temple that is not made with hands. The temple that cannot be destroyed because God will not allow it to be destroyed is what he is talking about, a, a eternal, secure place. Come to 1 Timothy 3.15 and we'll, we'll see, we'll see this, this kind of language used again. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So again, what do pillars hold things up? Ground or foundation hold up the pillars, which holds up something else, the truth. What is the truth? Thy word. Thy word is truth. That's what we're to do here. We're to hold, we're to hold this up. Not, not physically. I mean, we could if we wanted to. My arms would just get tired. But looking to this as our, uh, many Baptists will say, this is our um, uh, 
sole source of practice and faith. I can't remember how they, how they word that. That's what, that's what many Baptists will say, but then they'll also go over here and pull from this psychology book and this uh, social studies book and from this over here and, well, this guy says this and this guy says that. This is to, is to be our sole rule of faith and practice. There we go. That's, that's the phrase I was looking for. This is to be where we, where, what the church of the living God holds up. We don't have anything else. We have nothing but the sure word of God. That is, that is to where what we are to be holding up, what we're to be proclaiming. That uh, is what he has promised to make us, to the one that holds, uh, that, holds that very thing up, the, the secure, eternal. In eternity, we will, we will be doing that. And he shall go no more out, and I shall write upon him the name of my God. We don't need to go out when, when the Lord is our, is our shepherd. We don't need to leave that fold any longer. Go out on our own. There is no reason to go out on our own. He is the one who takes care of us. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. It would have been new. The heavenly Jerusalem is not new in time. Heavenly Jerusalem has always existed from the creation of all things. The earthly Jerusalem would have been what they were, what all, all of the readers, including us, are more familiar with the earthly Jerusalem. So especially to the reader, the initial readers of this, the new Jerusalem would have been new to them, new experientially, but not new in time. Because the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, preceded the, earth, the earthly Jerusalem, just new to these readers' experience, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So this, uh, we'll, see, we'll see it later, but in Revelation 21, you see uh, that, that God's dwelling place is now among men, that his, his uh, throne, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven and is suspended. It keeps coming down. It never touches so it's suspended in the air. Uh, that, will, that will happen. And this, uh, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Revelation 19. I think we've, I think we've seen it before, but just to, just to touch on it again. Revelation 19.12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had, he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. I don't know what that name is. He knows it. He knows what that name is. We'll find out. Uh, we will find out one day what that name is. Uh, I, I don't imagine that it's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, but that is a name of his. Uh, tells, tells us later he, has, he hath on his vesture, verse 16, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is that now. Is not just that at his return. He is the king, uh, as I've mentioned before, he is the king of all the kings and the lord of all the lords, the ones whom all the masters and lords should be looking to, the ones whom all the kings and the presidents and the czars and the, and the dictators and the, uh, so on and so forth should be serving if they were to be wise, if they were to be instructed. As Psalm 2 reads, they should kiss the sun. They should pay homage to the sun lest he be angry and they perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little, as we read in Psalm 2. And in Acts 
4, I believe it is, is where that's applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As always, the Lord always refers back to he that has an ear. All through his earthly ministry, all through these epistles uh, that that he's having written to these churches, and that's what these are. Uh, All these messages written to these churches, always referring back to he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now we come to his message to the church in Laodicea, uh, one that we're no doubt, uh, no doubt familiar with, but one that we, we might find out is much more applicable to today than, than we would really like for it to be. Um, so the message that he has to the Laodiceans, he begins with, These things saith the Amen. This same word is rendered verily, a hundred and one times, if my, if my notes are correct. This things, these things saith the verily, verily, the truly, truly, the one who is the truth, the one who is, uh, it is, it is done, it is said. The faithful and true witness, the one who said that he is the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the, uh, the preeminent one, the one above all things, uh, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I would thou wert cold or hot. Sorry, it's hard for me to speak that way because that's not how we speak today. I wish you were cold or hot. Now, does anybody here like cold water? I like, I like a glass of cold water. Even, even during the winter, I still like a glass of cold water. What about a, a, a cup of hot tea or uh, uh, hot, hot tea or hot coffee? That's soothing. Cold water's refreshing. Hot, hot, a hot drink is soothing. They're neither of those. They're neither soothing nor refreshing. And the Lord wishes that they were one of the two. But they are not. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is what they are spiritually. They're lukewarm. Eh, wishy-washy. Well, yeah, it says that, but no, it says it, and therefore we ought to believe it. This, as, we've, as I've probably mentioned at the beginning of this, of this study of these churches, uh, many there are, if you've noticed, there are seven churches. Seven throughout the Word of God indicates the number of completion. There were seven, there are seven days in the week. Um, there, there are seven churches here. There, you can see time and time and time and time again, seven. Seven meaning the complete number. Things are done in, in a series of seven. Due to that, Many, many theologians believe that not only are these specific churches that existed during that time, that they are, they are actual local New Testament bodies that existed during this time, and not only are they characteristic, uh, uh, are they um, types of churches that will, or, or, or 
moods of churches. That's not, that's not the word I'm looking for. States of churches or even the same church at different times in its life. That one, one church could be like the church in Philadelphia and eventually come to the, the church in Laodicea. That's how they may be spiritually. Maybe not a day apart, but years and years and years apart. They slowly start to drift. We've seen, we've seen that somewhat in our day. Churches that used to be faithful to the Word of God, used to hold, uh, they may not believe, have believed everything like you and I did, but they believed the vast majority uh, of things like we did. But now they've strayed. They've, they've, they've gone completely away, and we're wondering how they could even call themselves a church of the Lord Jesus Christ any longer. This is what the church of Laodicea is like. So not only, not only do theologians believe those two things, which I agree completely, they also see this, these uh, churches as periods of time that the church of Jesus Christ, the, the earth, earth-wide, will go through. We could see that in our day. The church of Laodicea is very easily, we, we can look around and see that in our day. We're familiar enough with what, with what the text says about them that the Lord is not happy with the way that these churches are going. So he will spew them out of his mouth. Out of his mouth. I, I don't know anybody that really enjoys a lukewarm beverage. I know Brits like to drink their beer that way, and I don't understand that at all. I would spew that out of my mouth. I'd be right along with the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that a lukewarm beverage is, I'll, I'll dump it out and get a cold or a hot one. Um, but he, he, he does not enjoy that either. How does, why does he call them lukewarm? By the way, he's also playing on uh, ge- geographical facts of Laodicea. Laodicea was miles and miles from the nearest spring. They had to aqueduct it in. They had to use an aqueduct to, to, get, it into, um, to get it into their city. And it was high in sulfur. And sulfur does not smell good. So it would cause many to be sick. Uh, and, and that is why, um, why the Lord uses that imagery that I'll spew you out of my mouth. Because it just tastes so bad. It tastes so bad. But that's all that the Laodiceans had. There, is, there wasn't a way. Uh, they could maybe find a cave to set it in to cool it down. But there wasn't a way. They, they couldn't bring in cold water. They didn't have hot springs. There was nothing that they could do but have this lukewarm, gross-smelling water. Because thou sayest... Uh, he's taking that geographical truth and applying it to themselves spiritually. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that, th- that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Because they say, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now, you check me out. My pastor has told me this. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm, I can't read Greek like he can. He says that this nothing is neuter. So it could also be rendered no one. You, you check that out. He's, he's the Greek expert. But it could be rendered nothing or no one. You look like you've got, got something to say. 
I, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I don't have any need. I don't need to go to the Lord. But whenever you, if, if it could truly be rendered no one, it's even more specific. I don't even need the Lord. I've got everything I need. I don't, need, I don't even need the Lord. But that's uh, right, absolutely. They, they should not be thinking that way, but that is the way that they thought. They don't, they don't even need the Lord. Look around in our world today. How many people are rich and increased with goods and, and live, say, and live like, I have need of nothing or no one? Seek, seek them in. Uh, those, those men say, you bless my ministry and the Lord will bless you, but that's not, that's not how that works. Um, they, they're um, only, only thinking of the here and now and not, not eternal truths, not, not, what the, not what the word of God truly teaches about our state, uh, our state of things. But they do not know. They're rich and increased with goods. They think that they, wow, look at how great we are. Look, look at all the, the wealth we've accumulated. That many, many people in America will uh, look at our military and say, wow, it's so great. We could never be defeated. How did we, bless you, how did we run out of Afghanistan with our tails tucked? Because our men will fight like women. That's nothing against you women. You're just not, you're not supposed to be fighters. That's the way, that's the Lord's creation. That's the Lord's design. And he, in Isaiah, it's a punishment. It's a judgment upon the people of Israel that their men will fight like women. That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Because we got our tails whooped. Um, because we have ultimately, and you could point to this or you could point to that, but it's ultimately because we've strayed from God. This, this country was built in, in many, many instances, built upon this word right here. Uh, I read that, read that quote from Thomas Jefferson's uh, Thanksgiving proclamation in 1779 uh, a few months ago. And I was just astonished at how many times he referenced, uh, referenced the Lord God in his, in his Thanksgiving proclamation. How thankful he was. This was in the midst of the, re- of the Revolutionary War. How thankful he was at the success that they were having in their war because of the Lord protecting our troops. And he said, and not only that, but even more importantly, the uh, extent to which the gospel has reached in this country and, wor- and the world. For him to say that that, was, that that was more important than the success that they were having in that war, today people would read that and be like, oh, he was a preacher. No, he's a politician. Uh, but that's just how our, and, and he's supposed to be the least religious. One, him and Benjamin Franklin are supposed to be the least religious of the founding fathers. Uh, and Benjamin Franklin said, said time and time again uh, that, that, that the Lord God, speaking of, of the Christian God, rules in the kingdoms of men. Just because he said, I am more and more convinced that the, that that the Lord rules in the kingdoms of men doesn't mean that he wasn't already convinced that the Lord rules in the kingdoms of men. 
He's just acknowledging the fact that the reason we run, won the Revolutionary War was because the Lord rules in the kingdoms of men and that, and that that truth shown in the Word of God was why we won. And he's ex, uh, explaining that these two things came to an intersection when we won, when we won the Revolutionary War because the Lord was pleased. How the mighty have fallen. Even I've heard even from unbelievers about I don't know if, if you've if you've heard this bill that's did it pass the 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 born alive pass the house and that and and that's uh, protection for babies from botched abortions. Um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but but it's passed the house. Babies that make it that survive an abortion attempt and are born alive. Uh, they're requ- the the medical practitioners are required would be would be required by law to render medical care. You listen to the left to those who are against that, how just passionately the ha- the hatred that spews out of their mouth. I've heard from unbelievers that if where's the line? Well, the line's at conception. Because that's that's the point that the that the baby exists. That's the point in which uh, a new person has been created. Uh, that's the point in which new DNA. We we know now by by the ble- the blessing that modern science is. Not all of it. There is science falsely so called, and we ought to be beware of science falsely so called. You see that in the scriptures. Paul wrote that to Timothy. But one of the one of the truths that they have found is at conception the. Uh, the DNA from the mother and father um, uh, comes together and a new person, it, it's a new set of DNA, a new person has been created, a new person has come into this world we know that, we know that that's a fact you could read the word of God and know that that's the truth but, but now, now we have uh, modern science to, uh, to agree with what the scripture says, it's almost like God knew what he was doing when he, when he wrote his word. Science very rarely agrees with the Bible. True science will agree every time. Uh, science falsely so-called will try and stray from this at every point. Because, oh no, that's too, that's too religious of a conclusion. Um, uh, they've, they've pinpointed the, the origin of life to be somewhere in, in the near, uh, near east. Um, you know, right around Israel... Uh, Saudi Arabia, and they said, "Oh no, that's too that's too religious of a conclusion." So they moved it down into Africa. Um, no, uh, if the Lord made the Garden of Eden there, then that's where He made the Garden of Eden. Um, uh, but they can't they can't handle that um, because uh, the Lord sends them deception that they would believe a lie because they receive not a love for the truth. The Lord does that very thing. He deceives the wicked. He allows the wicked to be deceived. Men, men will grow that way. And there are verses that, that talk about the latter days and what, what happens. Uh, what happens there? We'll, we'll get that. I'll be, we'll be back in a couple, couple of weeks, I believe. Two weeks. Um, we'll, we'll get those verses that tie in with how wretched, how wretched uh, the church in Laodicea is. Uh, next next time.
Thank you for your time and attention this morning.